All right. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Linda. Turn your Bibles, please, back to Luke chapter 4, please. Luke chapter 4. As you're turning there, I want to encourage you to come tonight for our evening service. We're going to have communion. I hope that you enjoyed the revival services we had with Brother Van Gelderen this past week. And just prior to the communion service, before we take communion, we're going to have testimony time to give you an opportunity to share what the Lord spoke to your heart about, what the Lord did in your life through the revival services. So please join us tonight. We'll have extra music, then, then testimonies, then the time in the Lord's Supper. So please join us tonight during the 6 p.m. service. Uh, two weeks ago, we uh, began a message on temptation, something we all deal with, something we all struggle with. Our verse back then was 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where it says, There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. We looked at several things last week. A quick review, then we'll look at our scripture today. We looked at, when, uh, in our understanding of temptation, we saw the definition. Definition, temptation itself is not sin. It's an enticement to sin. We looked at the source of temptation. The source of temptation is threefold. Either be the world, the flesh, or the devil. Every temptation we receive comes from one of those three sources. Then we saw the reasons for temptation. It is a test of our love for God, but also temptation is God's character development building program. Then we concluded facts about temptation. The temptation is common to all men. Temptation comes under God's control, but also it comes with a companion, the strength to endure it. So now look, if you would please, in the book of Luke here. But as we're looking there, we're going to talk about this morning how to conquer temptation. Hopefully we understand it better from the time we spent two weeks ago. Now, look at how to conquer temptation. In the battle with temptation, people try to conquer temptation in one of three ways. Number one, they give in. They're tired of fighting. They're tired of struggling. They just say, I tried and tried and tried, and every time I uh, defeated, so they just give up. I said, I'll live for the Lord every other of my life. For that one area of my life, I just can't get victory over it, so I'm just going to give in. That's one way people try to fight it. Another way is they fight in their own strength. The Bible says temptation is a spiritual battle, not physical. Though you might be the specimen of physical health and a specimen of mental intelligence, none of that will help you in temptation. It's a spiritual battle. Some try to resist it in their own strength until finally they're like the other person that I can overcome anything but temptation. My friend Jeremiah 17, 5 says this, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is a man that trusteth a man that maketh flesh his arm. Flesh means your strength. My friend, the arm of flesh will fail you. If you try to gain victory over temptation with your own strength, you will fail every single time. So people try to conquer it by giving in or by fighting in their own strength. And lastly, we'll learn today, they follow the example of Jesus Christ. Here we have in Luke chapter 4, Jesus Christ's victory over temptation. And we can learn from that. He did it, and we can do it too. So before we go move any further... We must never forget we have an enemy that's out to harm us and destroy us. His name is Satan. In John 10, 10, Jesus said this, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Notice the thief is Satan. He, he's coming in your life for one of three reasons. 
first of all, to steal. He wants to steal your fellowship with God. He wants to steal your joy and peace. He wants to kill that fellowship, and he wants to destroy your testimony. He's out to destroy you, and he does it through temptation. So we need to learn how to conquer temptation. So to conquer temptation, first of all, we must realize that first this. Temptation can strike. Temptation can strike, first of all, any person. Any person. When you got saved, you did not suddenly become immune to temptation. In fact, the opposite is true. I don't believe that Satan worries about the unsaved. He's already got them. He looks at God's people because he sees you as a possible threat to his kingdom. So he will tempt you. If Satan was so bold to tempt the Son of God, my friend, he'll tempt you. The devil had the audacity to tempt Jesus Christ. You're the next on his list. So understand, first of all, temptation is not sin. Christ tempted all points as we are, yet without sin. I like what my favorite pre- one of my favorite preachers, Adrian Rogers. He said, when you're tempted, you're in good company. Because <laughs> Jesus was tempted. He said this, if you're tempted, there's nothing wrong with you. There's something right about you. It means you're not in collision, collusion with the devil. You're in collision with the devil. <laughs> and how true that is. So, my friend, temptation can strike any person, but also it can strike at any time. Any time. When are we most vulnerable to temptation? You ever thought about that? When are you saying any time? <laughs> but when the most vulnerable time is, some of the greatest temptation will come after your highest spiritual victories, after spiritual experiences. Think about Elijah. Elijah in 1 Kings 18 He defeated 400 prophets of Baal. But read the next chapter. He's running for his life from Jezebel who threatened to take his life. Great victory against the prophets of Baal, 400 of them. But one woman threatened his life and he ran and tried to hide under a juniper tree. King David, 2 Samuel 10. We see his glorious victory over the Syrian army. But chapter 11, he falls in the sin with Bathsheba. After every great spiritual victory, you'll find you're most vulnerable to temptation. How about Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 4, we have his baptism. And there he gets the witness of his own father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, temptation. In other words, when you have the approval of heaven, you have an assault from hell itself. So the most vulnerable time, Christian, is after spiritual victory. Right after revival. When you're encouraged and revive in the Spirit of God, watch out. That's when you're most vulnerable. You let your guard down and Satan can. So it's any uh, person, any time, but also any place. Temptation can come and strike at any place. Adam was tempted in a perfect place. In the Garden of Eden. Remember in the Garden of Eden, there was no ungodly world like we live in. He had no flesh like we have. All he had was the devil, and he gave in. The Lord Jesus Christ, where was he tempted? In the wilderness, where there was nothing to uh, help him. So the first Adam fell in the garden. The last Adam overcame in the wilderness. In other words, you cannot isolate yourself from temptation. Many have heard of monks. They separate themselves, go into a monastery where there's no influence from the world, and there I'll be safe. But there they have the old flesh, and they have the devil. You can separate yourself from this world. My friend, it does not make you immune to sin. 
and there's not isolated. So there's no place you can go to be isolated from temptation. So to conquer temptation, you need to realize temptation can strike any person, any time, any place. Number two, to conquer temptation, we must recognize all temptation falls into one of three categories. Don't miss this now. Every temptation will fall into one of three categories. Now, the three sources, what are the sources? The flesh, the devil, and the world. But all the temptation, many of those sources will fall into one of three categories. What are they? Turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 4, please. Keep your finger in Luke, Hebrews chapter 4, page 1685. Here it talks about different categories, different types of temptation. Hebrews 4.15, please. Hebrews 4.15. A verse I've quoted several times, but I went fast over certain words. I'd like to underline in your Bible, if you would, please. Hebrews 4.15, look what it says. What a comforting thought this is for the believer. It says, for we have not an high priest. Who is our high priest? The Lord Jesus Christ which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Otherwise, he understands your weaknesses, understands the difficulties we have in this life, because he lived here too. But it goes on to say, but was in all points, underline that please, in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The word points means literally all types. So what are these types of temptation? What are these points of temptation? I'm glad you asked. So what are these categories? Go with me now to 1 John, please. 1 John. Here we have the three categories of temptation which Satan used in the temptation of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, page 1714, for those, again, using a church Bible. If you did not bring a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to borrow one from right there in front of you, in front of the rack and the seat in front of you. Bar one there, page 1714. And here in 1 John chapter 2, if you don't mind, again, underlining, I like to underline a few things in verse 16. But start in verse 15. Here he's speaking to Christians. He says, Christian, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the word world is not talking about the planet we live on. It's not the earth. Not talking about humanity. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Humanity. It's talking about this world system, the world philosophy. This world we live in goes contrary to that of God. God said, we should not love that. Romans says, be not conformed to the world. So don't love it, don't be conformed to it. But verse 16, for all that is in the world, three things, underline it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. So every temptation you receive will fall in one of these three categories. Number one, the letter A, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is your passions. Is your passions. Now, if you would please go back to Luke, please. Back to Luke. And we'll see that Satan tempted Christ with the lust of the flesh. Back to Luke 4, please. It says in verse 3, in his temptation, And the devil said unto him, unto Christ, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. Verse 4, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, 
that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Notice here, Jesus had been led, in verse 1 and 2, Jesus was led in the, by the Spirit in the wilderness to fast. He was there by divine appointment. When Satan said, command the stone to be made bread, the temptation was to put his fleshly desires above the will of God. And therefore, it would have been sin to do so. Our passions involve the sins that we do with our bodies, our physical appetites. Our passions, the lust of the flesh, is things we do with our physical bodies, our physical appetites. For example, our passions may include out-of-control appetites, such as food, sex, liquor, compulsive shopping, gambling, even sleep, laziness, uncontrolled anger, and violence. All the things we do with our body because of our passions, our lust of the flesh. Interesting, these sins, lust of the flesh, are typically the misuse or abuse of something that's normally right or good. Let me say it again. The sins of the lust of the flesh are typically uh, abuse of something that's right or good. For example, eating. How many like to eat? Some of us, we don't have to ask them. Just look at them. <laughs> but anyway, we love to eat. It's a uh, passion, desire. God's given to all of us. It's natural. But many a times that passion get out of control and people can overeat. Gluttony is because of the lust of the flesh. Something normally natural, everybody has, is out of control. How about sex? Is sex wrong? God created sex, but he's given means to fulfill it in the bounds of marriage. Outside of marriage, sex is wrong. It is sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So sex is something natural, a passion we have, out of control, it is sin. Another one, sleep. How many like to sleep? <laughs> Can sleep become wrong? It's out of control. Read the book of Proverbs, how Solomon talks to the sluggard. Oh, sluggard, how long will you sleep? How long will you keep? And he said, a little more sleep, a little more slumber, and falling hands, then I'll get up. So many people sin because they, all they do is sleep. They're sluggards. But sleep is natural. Sex is natural, and so is eating. How about anger? Is anger wrong? No. The Bible said in Ephesians, be angry and what? Sin not. So anger is not wrong. It's uncontrolled anger. That passion gets out of control. We say things, do things, hurt other people. So basically, these are passions, but the lust of the flesh is when that passion gets out of control. Number two, the second category of temptation not only the lust of the flesh, but the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. That is your possessions. The lust of the flesh, your passions. Lust of the eyes, your possessions. Look again in Luke 4, verse 5 this time. Here comes the second category in the life of Christ. The second point he was tempted in. Verse 5. And the devil, taking him up in a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power, this authority, will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that was delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all is thine. Then Christ responded, verse 8. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. In other words, he showed him all the world. And by the way, was that Satan's to give? 
Yes, it was. Remember, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over the earth, but they lost it at the fall. It was delivered unto Satan. Now it was his to give. So he said, Christ, it's all yours. Now, that would cause him to avoid the cross. He would gain it through the cross. But you can have it right now and cost you nothing. I'll just give it to you. All you got to do is worship me. Basically, our eyes have appetites just like our bodies. Our eyes have appetites just like our bodies. Things that satisfy your visual senses, what our eyes feast upon can become a temptation. Proverbs 20, verse 27, 20 says this. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Some of us always want more. We're never content what we have. We always want more. My friend, that's the lust of the eyes. Satan would tempt you with material things. Is there anything wrong with having material things? No. But sometimes we get so much a, a, a passion, so consumed with material things, we have no thought for God. Here's what Satan does. Satan allows you to bless you, excuse me, allows God to bless you with material possessions. They're from God. But he begins to get your attention away from God and on the blessing. In fact, sometimes our, instead of us owning our blessings, our blessings own us. And therefore, we have no time for God. I got to take care of my car, my house, my boat, all this, and have no time for the Lord. And so that lust of your eyes can become a great deterrent from serving the Lord. The devil can take something that is fine in second place and put it in first place, then it make it bad. Satan offered Jesus possessions, all the kingdoms of the world, but many of us will sell out for much less. Judas sold out for 30 pieces of silver. Esau sold out for a bowl of pottage. And Demas sold out for the ministry because he loved this world. Number three, the third category. The first one, the lust of the flesh, your passions. The lust of the eyes, your possessions. And number three, the pride of life, your personhood. Your pers personhood. In Luke 4, look at it with me, verse 9. Here's the third category, the third point which Christ was tempted. He said, and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, that's the key there. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give thee angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. How subtle. Now remember so far, what did Jesus use to fight temptation? The Word of God. Notice now who's quoting the Word of God. The devil is. Does the devil know Scripture? More than you do. He's been on a lot further. So now he takes scripture itself. Use the word of God against me, I'll use it against you. And he quoted the book of Psalms, but he left out a portion. Where it says that, for it is written, he shall give thee angels charge over thee to keep thee, and left out in all thy ways. As long as we do what's right in all our ways, God will protect us. And so he used it. But, it, but notice it. Jesus answered in verse 12. Jesus answered, said unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So the last type of temptation is an assault on your very being and who you are, on your personhood. It can take the form of wanting authority, attention, power, respect of being someone. 
How many people compromise their testimony because they want to be something special in the eyes of people? Therefore, they involve things they shouldn't do because they want to look good, want man's attention, the pride of life. Satan challenged Jesus in his being, in his personhood. He said, if thou be the son of God, his deity, and prove it by jumping off the temple. Let everybody know who you are. Just jump off, the angels pick you up, and wow, he's the son of God. So he tests him. The lust of the flesh, your passions. The lust of the eyes, your possessions. And the pride of life, your personhood. In all each of these, Christ was tempted. But listen very carefully. Satan tempted Eve in the same way. He has a lot of time, a lot of experience. Let me show you this. Hold your finger in Luke. Go down to Genesis chapter 3. We see that Eve is tempted with all three of these points, like what was Christ, like you are. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, please. Genesis 3, verse 6. All right here in one verse, the three points of temptation that Christ experienced, that Eve experienced, my friend, you were experienced. In chapter 3 of Genesis, the temptation of Adam and Eve, look what he said in verse 4. Verse 6, I'm sorry. Page 4. Page 4. And verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, what was that? The lust of the flesh. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. What was that? The lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. The pride of life. All three in the life of Eve, temptation Eve, the Christ experience and you were experienced. And she did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. She failed. Christ did not. So we face these same things. Doing Having been, passions, possessions, pride, we all have that. So, number three, lastly. So, first of all, remember, temptation can strike what? Any person, any time, any place. The temptation falls in one of three categories. What were they? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lastly, number three, we need to understand the essential elements of conquering temptation. The essential elements, things that we must have if we want to conquer temptation. Number one is conquered by letter A, by sonship. By sonship. You must be a child of God. You must be saved. You must be born again. That's the starting place. The unsaved has no victory over temptation. But we do. But once we're saved, we have an essential element. Jesus became the son of man that you might become the son of God. Number two, the second essential element is by submission. You must be willing to obey. You must be willing to obey. At Christ's baptism, what did the father say to him? He, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why was the father pleased with his son? Because in John 8, Jesus said, I do always those things which please him. Jesus submitted himself to the will of his father. How about you? Are you submitted to his will? Someone wrote this. I like this. Victory is not for rebels. Unless you have, as a Christian, bowed the knee to the lordship of Jesus and made God sovereign over your life, there is no real hope for you to overcome Satan. It comes through submission. In fact, what did James say? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. 
Resist the devil and he'll what? Flee from me. So first of all, I need to be saved, sonship. Then as a Christian, I need to submit myself and obey his word. Number three, the third essential element is by spiritual endowment. By spiritual endowment. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. So number one, I need to be saved, a child of God, born again by the Spirit of God. And now that I'm saved, I need to submit my life to him and his control. And then now that I'm saved, surrender myself to the Holy Spirit's control. Interesting, Luke 24, 49, right before Jesus went back to heaven, he said this, And behold, I send the promise of the Father unto you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from where? Wow. I can have power from on high, and it comes by the Holy Spirit. The word endued literally means to be clothed with. And Romans 13, 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, you might fulfill the lust thereof. The word put ye on is the same word as endued, as I did be clothed with this power. My friend, the same power that Christ had to overcome temptation, you have. You know what it is? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enabled Jesus to overcome temptation. Listen to this carefully. I wrote it very carefully so you understand it. Jesus did not overcome Satan as God, though he was God and is God. Jesus overcame Satan as a man filled with the Spirit. You ever heard of the term hyperstatic union? It's the union between God and man. Jesus Christ was perfect God, but perfectly man. The Son of God is deity. The Son of Man is humanity. You can't tempt God, but he, Satan tempted his humanity. And so he did not stand against God in his own strength as God but as a man controlled by the Spirit of God to be our example. He didn't have, if he hadn't overcome Satan as man, he could not be an example for us. But Jesus overcame Satan not with the inherent power he had as Almighty God, but as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. One example. He identified himself with us by becoming a man and showed us how we can overcome temptation as a man. In chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So he overcame Satan's temptation as the Son of Man under the control of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will enable us to overcome temptation. We're told throughout the Bible to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18, you know what it says? Be not drunk with wine, we're next says, but be what? Filled means controlled by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.16, this I say unto you, walk in the Spirit, you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Most of you know 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Who is that one in me? The Holy Spirit. And he's greater than he's in the world. Who's in the world? Satan. So you have the same power Christ had to overcome temptation. So he did it by sonship, by submission, by spiritual endowment, and next, by scripture. By scripture. Use the word of God. Jesus, the submissive son of almighty God, filled with the Holy Spirit, when Satan came against him, he used the word of God three times. Notice, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Here's a question for you. Why did he do that? Why did he quote 
use the Word of God. Think about this. Jesus is God. Anything he said would have been the Word of God. He could have said, go jump in the lake. He could have said, get back, Jack. He could have said anything. He's God. But he quoted scripture. Why? Example for you. My friend, there's power in the word of God. And he quoted the word of God as example for you and I to overcome Satan. It is written. Jesus shows us not how to overcome temptation as God would overcome him. Excuse me. How to overcome Satan as God would overcome him. But how to overcome Satan as a man would overcome him being filled with the spirit and quoting the word of God. That's how Christ overcome temptation. So real quickly, a time is just about gone. Resist, resisting temptation is a spiritual battle. Real quickly, two more verses and we'll close. Go to Ephesians 6, please. You can let go of Luke. Ephesians 6. Resisting temptation is a spiritual battle. We saw one way people fail because they try to do it in their own strength. The arm of flesh will fail. You cannot defeat temptation in the power of the flesh. You can't do it. It has to be in the power of God. Ephesians 6, page 1650. Here it talks about another great message out here we don't have time for. It talks about the armor of God. The armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10. Look what it says there. Again, page 1650 for those using a church Bible. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong where? In the Lord. And the power of his might. How do you do that? Read the next verse. Verse 11. But said, put ye on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against temptation, against the wiles, the trickery of the devil. Notice several things about this battle. Temptation. The war is spiritual. The war itself against temptation is spiritual. He says there in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle and temptation is not against physical, but against spiritual. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. It's not physical. The war is spiritual. Number two, the enemy is spiritual. The enemy is spiritual. Look in the latter part of verse 12. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. about Satan? So the battle against temptation is not physical, but spiritual. The enemy is spiritual. And number three, the armor is spiritual. It's not a physical armor. It's a spiritual armor. That's what he says in verse 13. Wherefore, because the enemy and the war is spiritual, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to, able to withstand in the evil day, of the day of temptation, and having done all to stand. Notice real quickly, the armor consists of five things. Number one, a belt. It's called the belt of truth in verse 14. Stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth. Number two, a breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness, verse 14, the latter part. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, shoes. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Next, a shield. A shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And lastly, a helmet. A helmet of salvation. This is not a physical armor, it's spiritual. So as the enemy is spiritual, the war is spiritual, the armor is spiritual, and lastly, the weapons are spiritual. The weapons are spiritual. And there's two weapons mentioned here. What's the first one? 
the same one Christ used, the word of God. The latter part of verse 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's the first weapon. The second one, verse 18, is prayer. Is prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Interesting. St. Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, means physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Does Satan have a stronghold in your life? If there's some area that you're constantly defeated in, what are the weapons, Pastor? The same thing that Christ used. It is the Holy Spirit, the sword, and prayer. These are the weapons. So you may have victory. And we'll conclude, and don't go back there. The last verse in the book of Luke, it says, it says this, And when the devil had ended all temptation, he departed for a... What that means? You may win the daily battle, but the war is not over. He'll be back. <laughs> Resist the devil, and he will what? But he'll come back. That's what the point is. It was the fourth season. So, you, oh, I won today. Watch out for tomorrow. <laughs> he'll come back tomorrow. So, real quickly, and we'll turn to one more verse, and we'll close. Go ahead and turn to Titus, please. Titus. And Titus chapter 3, and we'll close with this this morning. As you're turning there to conquering temptation, first of all, you need to realize it can strike any person, any time, any place. You need to understand the three categories of temptation. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And lastly, you need to understand the essential elements of four of them. Sonship, submission, spiritual endowment, and scripture. Now, remember the first essential element Sonship. My friend, you need to be saved. You need to be a Christian. If you're here today and you never trusted Christ as Savior, you have no victory. Never will have victory over temptation. It defeats you the rest of your life. The first uh, central element is sonship, salvation. Look here in Titus 3 5, please. Titus 3 5. It speaks about this central element. Titus 3 5. Many of you are familiar with the first. What are, what are the first three words there? Not by what? Works of righteousness, which we have done. Look at me, please. First, we need to understand something. You want to be saved? You want to go to heaven? It's not by your works. Not by any good thing that you do. It's not works of righteousness means all the good deeds you do. So many people today think, I'm going to heaven because I'm good. I live a good life. I pray. I go to church. I do these good things. But for nothing wrong with them, they won't save you. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, it means... God not giving us what we deserve. But it goes on to say this. But, according to mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Three things about the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Number one, washing. When you realize you can't save yourself, that I'm a bankrupt sinner, I can do nothing to save myself, I need Christ. And I trust him. What happens? The Spirit of God dwells you. And first of all, there's a washing. The Spirit of God takes the blood of Christ and washes you from all sin. Then there's regeneration. That's that new birth. That God creates in you a new nature and you become a child of God. And by the renewing, your life becomes new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So if you're here today and you're saved, you have been washed, you've been regenerated, you've been renewed by the Spirit of God. But if not, my friend, you can have it today. How? 
first realize you can't save yourself. Nothing with me do I bring. Just simply to the cross I cling. Close your Bibles, please. My friend, I know I went through a lot. Uh, somebody told me several times, Pastor, like taking a drink, have a fire hydrant. Just so much at one time. Please, I hope you take your notes, go back over them, and read that again and again so you can get conquer temptation. But the first step many of you have taken is salvation. That's when the Spirit of God indwells you. That same power that enabled Christ to overcome temptation as a man, you have the Spirit of God. Then the one controlled by the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and using a temptation. Those two things are essential. But if you're a day and you never trusted Christ, my friend, salvation is a gift. You don't understand that. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. It's given freely. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So my question is, as we close our service, have you ever received Christ to be your Savior? Have you ever been born again? You ever been made new by the Spirit of God? If not, you can do it today. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, this morning I've been speaking to those that know Christ as Savior and giving you truths, principles from God's Word, how to conquer temptation. We all tempted, but we have an example of one who overcame it. His name was Jesus. And he used the Spirit of God and his power and the word of God to gain victory over temptation. I pray you would do the same. But if you're here today and you have never received Christ as your Savior, my friend, you have no hope over victory, over temptation. The first step is sonship. Becoming a son, a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have never done that before, why not do it right now? God wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be heaven to be your home. And when he does, he'll give you the power from on high, the Holy Spirit, to gain victory over temptation and sin. So if you never trusted Christ, why not do it right now? Right where you're at, in your own thoughts, talk to God. Place your faith, your dependence upon Christ to save you. And he will. You say, Pastor, I like to do that. What do I say? Why not talk to God and say something like this? Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. The judgment I deserve for my sin, Jesus took upon himself. And I believe when he died, he died for me. He was buried, and I believe he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. I'm trusting him as my only hope for heaven. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'd like to know if anyone trusted Christ today. If what I said made sense to you and you trusted Christ today as your Savior, in one moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand does not save you. I'm not going to point you out or have you forward to put you on the spot. All I want to do is pray for you. But if what I did made sense to you, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you allow me simply to pray for you. Would you raise your hand right where you're at and say, Pastor, I trusted Christ this morning. Here's my hand. Anyone at all? Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Hold it up high so I can see it, so I can pray for you. Anyone at all? 
Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the example we have in Christ. We see how to overcome temptation through how he overcame it, through the power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. I pray, Father, that we would find the examine where we're defeated so often as believers, then find scriptures that will deal with that area of temptation we're defeated in, memorize it, and quote it. Your word says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Jesus used the word, help us to know the word, and use it also that we can conquer temptation. That's in Jesus' name, amen.